All right, well, this, I did the math, is actually 30, the 34th time I have prepared a sermon leading into the new year. Now, sometimes it's closer to the first than others. Today it's just tomorrow is the first of January. So uh, it's been just a wonderful opportunity to try to motivate God's people to to thank God for what happened in the year past, but also to look forward to what's coming in the year to come. And so uh, you, you, you have no idea what I'm going to preach on today, right? You have any idea what the main point of this message? I'm sure it's a mystery to all of you, but here it is. This is the main point of today's passage. That's it. But, but for a reason. And we're going to talk about that. I think it will become clearer and clearer for you as we unpack Proverbs chapter 1. Now, uh, how many in here, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? Just, just show of hands. I just want to get a percentage kind of basically. I do. I absolutely I, I just love the New Year. So I, it's an opportunity. Okay. Uh, not that many. The statistics show that about 38% of people make resolutions. Now, you may have a different understanding of resolutions than I do. You might not even like them because you're doing it a different way. Um, So we may have different thoughts about it. But as far as looking forward to the year to come, I sure hope you're doing some thinking about how you're going to try to make 2024 the most productive year possible. And I sure hope that involves your relationship with God. I hope, in fact, that it's almost all about your relationship with God. Now, so six out of ten people don't make resolutions. And it sounds like from the studies that six out of ten people just plain don't think about things this way. And so that's unfortunate. But what, what the goal of this today is to motivate you. The desire comes before the discipline. And so my prayer for you has been and is right now that the Holy Spirit will create in you a desire to read your Bible every day in the year to come. And I'll explain more and more about how to do that and why to do that in just a little bit. But but let's ask the question, why? Now, if you aim at nothing, what will you hit? Nothing every time. And so we're going to talk about goal setting, we're going to talk about commitments, we're going to talk about resolutions, if you want to call them that, and uh, why we would do that, why we should do that. Why should we reintegrate? You know, one of the, we're going to talk about Proverbs, which is, is a book full of general truths. And we get a lot of our sayings and our cliches from Proverbs, and others are just, just, Things that happen in life that just are true. They just, that's the way God created things to go. And one of those is that, uh, well, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. The, the desire comes before the discipline. Before anybody in here will discipline yourself to read your Bible every day or make your best effort to do that. The only way you're going to do that is if the desire exists there first. And that is my prayer for you. That the Holy Spirit today creates that desire in you. Because I can't make you do it. You can't even make yourself do it. And so, why should we do that? Another uh, general truth is the second law of thermodynamics. Things, are all, things all are uh, tend toward disintegration. So that's what the way life has been. You integrated before Christmas. What happened at Christmas? And now you're doing it again, and I'm doing it again. It's the first of the year. I get to start all over fresh. I love fresh starts. So we, But why should we reintegrate? Why should we restart? Why should we reset? And the answer ultimately is this. You were created by God for God. That's the only reason you exist. So shouldn't that mean that if I've kind of drifted or that it isn't wise for me to evaluate, re-evaluate things and then say, you know what, I need a fresh start today. And so uh, we've got all kinds of scripture verses of how to do that. In Romans 8.29, we're told that we were predestined, and we'll study this in a week or so, we were predestined to be, so beforehand, God planned, before you were even born, 
God knew you and God prepared for you to be, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the first among many brethren. That is why you are here, to become more like Jesus every day. Now, for some of you, you know that. Others are probably like, what? I thought I was here just to be happy and to be productive and to be a good citizen. And I've never seen it this way before. But this is the truth. God created you, and he wants you to become more like Jesus every day. In Romans, we're learning this all over. Romans, Romans chapter 7, verse 4 says that we might, that we might bear fruit for God. So our lives bear fruit of some sort. We're supposed to bear fruit for God. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I hope you become a Christian to find life. If you are a Christian, then you are the salt of the earth. Salt has to be salty. You are the light of the world. Light is supposed to be bright. All to glorify God. People should look at our lives and they should see the light of the glory of God shining out from us in the fruit of the Spirit. People should look at our lives and see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what they ought to see because we're created in the image of God and we're supposed to bear the image of God and thereby glorify God. Peter said that we are the chosen ones of God. We are a holy priesthood, a a chosen race, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are here to proclaim the excellencies of God, and we do that by living a life that looks like Jesus. It's very simple, isn't it? So again, how do we do that? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We'll come to that months from now, but we'll come to the verse where Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a, there's a spiritual work that goes on while we're in God's word, where he cleanses our mind, he renews it again, so that we can do all of the above. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, important passage for us, where Jesus said, where Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. If you want to be free, if you want to be happy, then you have to abide in his word. If you want to bear fruit, back or over in chapter 15 of John, uh, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So back in chapter 8, when he says abiding in his word, let me ask you a question. How can you abide in Jesus' word if Jesus' word is not abiding in you? What's the answer? I can't. It's as simple as that. So there's this necessity of being in God's word, hiding God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him because the pressure is going to come. I'm going to, uh, as I groan for redemption, I'm going to fight this, this continuous battle with my flesh, this struggle within that we studied about in Romans chapter 7. That's going to be going on 100% of the time in 2024. So what am I going to do to fight that battle? And part of it is get God's word into me so that I might not sin against him when I'm under that pressure that I need to endure. And I'll be so uh, strongly tempted to deny his word, to distort his word, to twist his word in a thousand ways. All right. So let's look now at the book of Proverbs. What is Proverbs' purpose? So December 1st, because I don't have my calendar. I've got a calendar over there. There are calendars in your mailbox if you're a regular attender. There are calendars on the table back there. If you're not a regular attender, take one for yourself. As many people as need one, take one. They don't do anybody any good sitting on that table back there. 
So take a calendar, and I hope you don't just use it as a calendar. Everybody's giving out calendars. You don't need another calendar. What you need is a reminder to read the Bible every day. And it's a Bible reading program that I, I believe is the, is the best one I've ever seen. That's why we give it out. Kim and I and our family give it out every single year, praying that one more person would do it. And almost every year I hear of one more person who's doing it, and it, that person is always blessed. I've never heard a person complain. I've never heard a person say, I regret, I regret doing it. Never. That's not going to happen to you. It'll be a, a life-changing experience for you. So, so December 1st, I'm reading Proverbs 1. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs, so you read Proverbs 12 times a year if you follow the calendar. So on the, tomorrow, on the 1st, you'll be, you'll be hitting the ground running for 2024 because you will have already gone through Proverbs chapter 1. And so, so it's December 1st, I'm reading through Proverbs, and as I'm reading this beautiful chapter in Proverbs, uh, the Lord, I believe, just basically impressed upon my heart, you need to preach this today. And then the, the, the outline that you're going to see today just went, popped out at me. And so here it is. This is what the Lord laid on my heart, and I've studied it, and uh, we'll see what we can glean from it. So what is Proverbs' purpose? Look at, look at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. So let's talk about the author for just a moment. What do you know about Solomon. He's credited with being the wisest human being who ever lived. That's not true. Jesus was wiser. In fact, a lot of people have been wiser because Solomon's life ended poorly. But when he became king of Israel, God asked him, told him to ask for whatever he wanted. And Solomon could have asked for riches. He could have asked for power. could have asked for territory. What did he ask for? Wisdom. And therefore, God was so pleased with that, that God blessed him with wisdom beyond anybody else on earth. And Solomon compiled these sayings of wisdom. And, of course, God directed that, so he chose the best ones, and he tweaked them in such a way that they are God's word to us. So that's who Solomon is. So if he's the wisest guy on earth, you want to listen to him. Because he's giving God's wisdom. Now, the word proverb, the proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, a proverb literally means to be like something or to be compared with something. And so what we have in Proverbs are a whole bunch of object lessons that primarily are by comparison. You know, the wise man is like this, the righteous man is like this, but the fool is like this. Analogies, short statements of general truth. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Principles gleaned from practical experience. If you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes through this period of he tests things out, he checks things out, he just what works, what doesn't work, what makes sense and not. And then he comes up with many of these proverbs. Um, Common experiences, common examples, patterns that are seen in normal life. What goes up? Must come down. There's, there's things like that in Proverbs. They're just common sense. And the purpose then is to guide and direct a person to make the best choice, to make decisions uh, about what path to take, what action to take. And so what I put underneath Proverbs' purpose basically is given to us by God to help us make the best decision. Verse 2, this is what Proverbs' purpose is. Two, see the word two before the next several verses. This is what will happen if you study Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction. Interesting, the word wisdom literally, I'm told by Hebrew scholars, means skill. To become skillful in living. Skillful in making the best choices. Second half, verse 2. To discern the sayings of understanding. So discernment, right in it, you can see the distinguishing between two things. uh, Comparing things, evaluating them. And then wisdom would be skillfully navigating through that so that you make the best choice. 
Verse 3, to receive instruction. That means, you know, obtain something that's really valuable to receive instruction in wise behavior, skillful behavior. And that will be manifested in, visible in. People will look at your life and see righteousness, justice, and equity. Literally, things that are proper, things that are just, and things that are straight, the way they're supposed to be. Verse 4, to give prudence to the naive. Now, you're going to see in the book of Proverbs as you read through it every day, you're going to see this contrast between the shrewd person and the simple person. And a simple person is gullible. They're easy to entice. They're easy to trap. Now, we don't want to be that way, do we? If you're reading your Bible calendar, what I love doing, Psalms first. In your calendar, there'll be Psalms, Proverbs, Old Testament, New Testament. Psalms first. Because that just gets you worshiping and gets your mind set with the Lord. Straight up and down with God. Proverbs then tells you how to live. Gives you wisdom for skillful living. Then I go to the Old Testament, which is just chock full of examples of people doing it right and people doing it wrong. The fools and the shrewd person. Then you go to the New Testament, you get a lot of examples, but you also get a lot of the teachings of Jesus himself of how can I apply these things to my life. And so, uh, why did I go off on that? Let me see. Let's get back here to the text here. So, to give prudence to the naive. Oh, yeah, prudence to the naive. You're going, so, I was reading Nehemiah in the Old Testament, because I'm following the calendar, and toward the end of the year, you'll read through Nehemiah. There is some narrative There are narrative passages in the Old Testament that read better than any novel anybody else has ever written. It is amazing to read, enjoyable, entertaining, informative, to watch how God works in people's lives. But if you're reading Nehemiah, you know that Ezra and Nehemiah were sent back to rebuild the walls of the temple in Jerusalem. And while they go back, you can see the behavior of all the enemies of God around them, Sanballat and Tobiah. And these guys are just connivers. They're rascals. And they are trying to get Nehemiah to get distracted from the work. So they're using all kinds of ploys. You know, come and, you know, we're Jewish way, way, way back too. We're part of this too. We want to help you. Or come and, come and meet with us. Let's just, just talk about it. But Nehemiah is smarter than all. He's not gullible. He's shrewd, so he's able to discern and skillfully navigate through all of those things that could have thwarted the work of God. You'll see examples of that in the Bible. It will help you. You read it in Proverbs, and then you'll see an example, and God will teach you what that looks like. Then you'll be able to see when it's happening in your own life, and you'll be able to make a better choice. Uh, the end of verse 4, to youth. Okay, young people in here, listen to this. Proverbs is for you. To the youth, it will give you, Proverbs will give you knowledge and discretion. You'll be able to perceive things rightly so you can make plans that will succeed for you. God wants you to have a successful life. He wants you to be an example to others. And you need wisdom to do that. Verse 5, a wise man will hear and increase his learning. So this isn't just for the immature. I've been doing this roughly for 34 years or 35 years or so, 36 maybe, reading through the Proverbs once a month. So the whole book, 12 times a year, I try to evaluate my life by it. When I'm going through a difficult time, I try to understand what is going on. But what this tells us is even for the wise person, that per- and I'm not saying I'm wise, so I'll back up. That wouldn't be very humble. I'm wiser than I was 36 years ago. I better be or something is really wrong. But that doesn't mean I'm perfect. doesn't mean I have all wisdom. There are proverbs that I have no idea what they mean. And I've read them that many times. So some are, as you're going to see in a little bit, riddles. They're not easy to understand or how do I apply it? But little by little, God will continue to reveal things to you and you'll be able to, to be more skillful 
in your handling of these things. But, but I will tell you that I am looking forward to tomorrow going through Proverbs 1 with an excitement greater than I've ever had before. Because I know there's more in it for me. I'm still going to learn. Every single one of you has a ton of stuff to learn. If you're brand new to this and you've never read this before, your skill is probably very infantile. As far as being able to discern it from God's perspective, you need, there's a long ways to go. But go. Get after it. Start now. It's never too late. Now's the time to start. And a year from now, you will thank me for it. And you will be blessed. So it's for the wise person or someone with some wisdom, they will increase in their learning. Look at the second part of verse 5. This is a great picture. And a man of understanding, so someone who's got some knowledge under their belt, will acquire wise counsel. The picture here is of sailors on a ship pulling the ropes in order to you know, get the sails just at the right angle and, and up high so that it can guide and steer the ship to stay on the right path. That's what Proverbs will do for you. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how many times you've read the Bible, you still are going to go through stuff this year where you're going to need Proverbs and the wisdom to help you work your way through that and stay on the middle of the, in the middle of the road. We all need Proverbs. That's why God gave it to us. It's not just in the middle of some ancient book. This is the living word of God that he gave to Christians to guide Christians to accomplish the purpose of glorifying him. Okay, so then look at verse 6. Here it is. To understand a proverb and a figure... The words of the wise and their riddles. As I said, some of these are not easy. Some of these are not as obvious as you think. Oftentimes they're counterintuitive. There's a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs says, but in the end it leads to what? Death. It's the pilot flying the plane in a storm and he just loses all visibility. And he's got his instruments before him, but inside he feels like that doesn't feel right. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm upside down. You know, I just, I'm going to follow my gut. Where does that guy end up? Dead. You've got to trust your instruments. You cannot trust your feelings. You cannot, if you do that, you'll just be following your flesh everywhere. You'll be listening to what the world says, thinking that that's true. And the end of that is death. So just don't, and don't get frustrated. If you read through Proverbs and three of them jump out at you and make sense to you, praise God. Just hang on to those three. Read slowly. Read them meditatively. Read them uh, and don't be afraid to stop. That's why the ideal world is you leave enough time, some margin there to so read it, and as soon as the Holy Spirit starts tugging at you and impressing things upon you, you can stop long enough to let him do his work. Oh, that's me. Oh, that's what's going on. I got it. What, what should, okay, I think I, I need to go this direction. Now, there's a prerequisite, though, to be able to glean things from Proverbs. And the prerequisite is, look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't understand what it means to fear the Lord and we don't fear the Lord, it's going to do you no good at all. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In chapter 9, verse 10, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of him, knowledge of the Holy One, that is understanding. And so what does it mean to fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord. It means basically, of course, respect him, put him in his proper place, put yourself in your proper place, which is on your knees, on your face, in front of God, humble, low, and treat God appropriately. 
That's what fear really means. Treat him as he should be treated. Put him in the proper place. You treat a chainsaw with fear or you get hurt. You treat the edge of a cliff with fear or you get killed. Period. You've got to treat God with fear. And that means that now I'm going to listen. I'm going to admit I don't know everything. I'm going to say I'm not going to follow my feelings or my intuition or my gut. I'm going to humble myself before the Lord and what he says, that's it. That's the truth. That's what I'm after. That's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. That is the prerequisite to gleaning anything from Proverbs. And then uh, he launches into these precepts. Proverbs is just loaded with precepts, rules, principles, uh, underneath precepts, write down general truths. General truths. This is important to, to properly apply Proverbs because sometimes, like, what goes up, throw a ball up, we know it's going to come down, right? Oh, unless somebody catches it on the way down. There are anomalies. Some, generally speaking, what we're taught in Proverbs is true, but sometimes there are anomalies to that. God, they may not, oh, if I eat healthy, I'll be super healthy, right? If I exercise, then I'll, I'll uh, never get injured. I'll prevent injury, right? Well, in general, but people who eat healthy get sick. People who take really, really good care of themselves still get injured. It, so there are exceptions to these general rules, but in general, we're just learning the basic way God runs things. And Proverbs will teach you that. And then you'll be able to apply that skillfully to situations as they arise. So let's go through some of these precepts. We'll just kind of move our way through them. Verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And the word teaching there, just interesting, is the word Torah, which you've all heard. And what that means is to point or direct somebody in the right direction. So same type of thinking. Now what does that imply? Verse 8. Hear my son your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Doesn't that mean your father's been instructing you? Your mother's been teaching you? Okay, that's an ideal world. Because some of our fathers and mothers didn't do that very well. They never read Proverbs. So, so what, do I, what do I do with that? What it means is, okay, what I have to do whenever I realize I didn't really learn that that well, I have to just go right to my Heavenly Father and I have to just say, Lord, teach me. This is your word. Teach me by your Spirit. But does this not imply, parents, that it is our responsibility to train our children in the ways of the Lord? Right? So you parents who still have children, who have young children, particularly, we taught our kids to read Proverbs every day. We read Proverbs to them. We taught our kids to do that on their own. I remember when our two, young, our two youngest went to Village Creek Bible Camp, and they were given the opportunity to go out into God's creation with their Bibles and read it all by themselves, and although we had been doing it almost daily, regularly, for years and years and years, it was at that moment that the Holy Spirit moved in their hearts and all of a sudden it became their own desire to read every day. And they started reading Proverbs. It became a joke around the house. We'd read the first half of a proverb and they could finish the second half. They got it to where it was basically the whole book was memorized. Because they're young minds. They can just absorb this stuff. Parents, that's our responsibility. That's your responsibility. If you're not creating opportunities for your children to be in God's word, it is absolutely your responsibility to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. Many of us have failed in that department in ways. Well, then today's a good day to repent of that, ask for forgiveness, forget what lies behind, reach forward to what lies ahead, and start today. Even if you're... Kids are well-grown. You have grandkids. You have great-grandkids. That doesn't matter. You start. Let's start today. Let's start this year. They're still going to come to you. They love you. They, they want to hear wisdom from you. They want to see a life 
that demonstrates the glory of God. They want to see that. They need to see that. So we can't bemoan the past. Let's start today. But if you're a parent of young children, we've got a whole bunch of them in this church, then please, please, I don't have time. I go, I got to get them to basketball practice. I got to get them to wrestling practice. I got to get them to piano. I got to get them to school. I got to get them to, and we'll we'll provide all these opportunities. But we're so busy. And then God will say, what what were you doing with all my time that I gave you? And you'll say, oh, it's just too busy. He's not going to buy that. There is no excuse. I don't believe there is a legitimate excuse for anybody. I mean, unless there's some extreme example. But I don't see anybody in here that I could accept a legitimate excuse for why you can't do this every day. Period. I'm preaching to myself first. I'm going to do it every day. And so can you. You're going to have to figure out how. You have to make some changes. You have to reorganize your schedule a little bit. But you've got to get this done. Or you should. I mean, by the grace of God, I hope the Holy Spirit motivates you to, I need to get this done and I don't have a legitimate excuse. So I'm going to do it this year. This is what I'm going to change in order to make it happen. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying you need to do this. So let's continue on. Verse 9, this is beautiful. Indeed, they are the teachings of the truth, the proverb, are a graceful wreath to your head, ornaments about your neck. It means that when people look at a Christian, they ought to see the most attractive person they've seen. Not physically, they should see the fruit of the Spirit. They should see in us that gentleness, that forbearing spirit. We should be winsome. We shouldn't have to beat them over the head with the Bible. We shouldn't have to. Uh, they should just see the peace of Christ and want it for themselves. If God so ordains that. They might hate you for it, but still they should see it. That's what these truths will be to us. Verse 10. This is a, this is a great uh, thing that happens in Proverbs now and then. Uh, so this sounds like Billy the Kid. I mean, this sounds like some Western young gun with starry eyes and drooling, you know, for fame and fortune. He's got a six-gun strapped to his belt. He's just waiting for the gang leader to come along and say, come with us, we're going to rob banks and get rich, and then we'll move to Mexico. And he's dumb enough to follow. That's the big picture that's being painted here. But don't write this off. Just listen to it, and then we're going to apply it to our lives. Okay? Because not many of us are in that situation. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, are you going to be wise or gullible? You going to get sucked in like they tried to get Nehemiah and Ezra? No, if sinners entice you, don't consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of precious wealth. It's going to be awesome. We'll, sh- we'll fill our houses with spoil. Come on, throw your lot in with us and we'll, we'll share. We'll give you your share. Okay? My son, don't walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it's useless to spread the net in the eyes of of a bird, I mean, but, but they do that. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush bush their own lives. It's not going to go well for them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They're just trying to get out whatever they can for themselves. Don't follow them. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now, we, again, might think, well, whoo, I'm glad I didn't get sucked into some gang or something or into the mafia. I was always a fear of me, mine when I was a kid. Was like, what if I ever got tangled up with the mafia and I couldn't get out? Or, you know, you picture yourself in prison for something. Well, thank God he didn't lead me that direction. Some people get led that direction. Some people have... They don't have healthy family situations like most of us have had. And so they do get, they get enticed into that lifestyle, and it's horrible. But what about us? We, 
So when you're reading Proverbs and you come to a spot that you think doesn't apply very much to you, that's the time to stop and say a prayer and say, Lord, what does that mean for me? Because let me share two ways that I see Christians do this. And I've done it, and I'm capable of doing it again. Let me give you two ways. One way is they're, very, they're more subtle. But one way is, and we learn these principles when we teach our peacemaking classes. Now listen carefully, because if you don't do this, I'll be really surprised. Or if you've never done this, or if you don't see people doing this or experience it, or you aren't being led and enticed by this, I'd be really be surprised. Someone comes to you with an evil report about somebody else. Many of you know what I'm, where I'm going here because we've talked about it over and over and over again. Somebody comes to you with a little bit of gossip. Do you know what gossip means? Gossip comes from the Old English God-sib, like gospel is good, good message, angel, evangel, you angel. Gossip is good or God-sibling. Some of you know this, but some of you don't. You need to understand this because this is what's happening. You need to be skillful in discerning this. So good sibling, well, how, how does that fit in with gossip? Somebody comes to you, and now they're with you, and they've got an issue with so-and-so, the third person, the triangle now has been formed, triangulation, which we want to learn how to get out of and avoid. But they come to you, and at this moment, it's, it's you and me. I mean, it's like you're my very best friend. You know, you're my good sibling right now. You've done this in your families. You're, you, you form alliances with, with one sibling one time, and then another sibling another time against the other one. That's the way people function. When someone comes to you with a bad report about somebody else, what they are doing is they are slandering that person. And you might say, yeah, but it was true. By whose definition of truth? What do you mean it's true? If it's so true, bring them in on the conversation. Bring them in. We'll find out how true it is once you hear both sides of the story. But that's not how we want to operate. We want to operate by, oh, they're thinking that I'm really their very best friend and they're sharing it with me and look how important I am. Or if I just get them on my side, then they'll think as badly about that person as I do because I'm mad at them. That's called gossip. That's called slander. That's bearing false witness against your neighbor. That is destructive. The Bible speaks very clearly about that over and over and over again. Don't do that. That is how we can be easily enticed to follow along, waylay that other person, get their blood, murder them, assassinate them by slander, by destroying your perception of them, by my own problem, my own perception of what I think they did to me and they're so wrong and what I'm saying is true, therefore I'm justified in creating teams. No. We've got to get really skillful at identifying that and stopping it. Have you, have you talked to them about Just oh, oh, oh. Have you talked to them about I think you need to go talk to them because Jesus says go and talk to them face to face. I can see you've got an issue with them. I think you need to do what Jesus says and go and resolve that. Okay, so that's, an, that's a way that I believe this absolutely applies to the, every Christian all the time. One other one, quickly, media. And I could go off on this, so I've got to be careful. The media you listen to, you have to be very discerning. You have to be very skillful in identifying what is their, what, what are they out for? Oh, they're all just there telling the truth? They want you to understand the truth. No, they don't. They work for people who want to make money. And they want to keep their jobs, so they want to make money. So they're going to say whatever they're told in their little earbud to say. Most of the time, they don't even know what they're talking about. They're just saying stuff. And if you sit there, and just because they, ab- they agree with your political view or your religious view or your ideology, and you believe that that's the gospel truth coming to you, you're naive. You've got to discern what, what, who's sponsoring this program. What's their game? What, what's their profit from this? 
And then you've got to get skillful enough to even, okay, there's certain ones you're going to weed out. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Here, I'm going to listen to this. I think it's good information. Even then, you've got to have your discernment to say, that's not true. I don't think that's true. Or that sounds to me like a little bit slanderous or gossipy. That, that just sounds like they're playing to the audience. I need to discern and be able to say, you know, that's a lie, and it's not good when they lie, and it's not good when you lie. So you've got to be able to pick through stuff and be able to glean what is actually true. Otherwise, they entice you to follow them into their situation so that you get to share the whatever plunder it is that they get. Does that make a little bit of sense? That's how subtle these things are. That's how serious you've got to take Proverbs. When Now, now that could take you hours every day. <laughs> over time, it will accumulate. And over time, you will learn to become more skillful and discerning. So we'll move on from there. All right. The next, now go to, go to verse uh, 20. We'll call this Proverbs Proclamation. There are a few places in Proverbs where wisdom, who is personified here as a woman, stands up. Look at verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. She's excited. She's zealous. She's fervent. She's not doing this in secret. God is giving you and me the opportunity all the time to have access to his wisdom. He is the source of all wisdom. And James tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. He won't even chew you out for asking, even though he's told you a hundred times before. Just come and just ask him. And so wisdom is just crying out in the streets. It's, it's there for you if you want it. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock. And, and, and those are continuous, those are present tense verbs. It means always be asking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. It will be open to you. God wants to give you his wisdom. Oh, read James chapter Three on wisdoms. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, that, that wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It is earthly, natural. It is demonic. Any wisdom that's opposite of what the Bible says and what Proverbs says is from the demons. It's destructive. It's deadly. Look at verse uh, 22 again. How long, O naive ones? There's that simpleton. So there's two people in verse 22. Don't be either one of these guys. Okay? First of all, how long, O naive ones, will you love your naivety or your simplicity? The simpleton says this. Don't confuse me with the facts because thinking is hard work. I'm busy, I got my view, I'm lazy, just stay away. Okay, that's the simpleton. And she's asking the question, how long are you going to do that? When are you going to figure out that's not, that doesn't work? So there's the naive person. And then she goes on to say the scoffer who delights themselves with scoffing. That's the person that says, don't confuse me with the facts. Because I'm smarter than everybody, including God. And my mind is already made up. My opinion already is formed, and it suits my desires. So I'm good. Leave me alone. Don't be either one of those people, because things are not going to go well. And wisdom says, how long are you going to do that? You know, 2023 is gone. How long are we going to, let's put an end to that. Verse 23, I've called this reception, to receive the proclamation. Turn to my reproof. Verse 23. Behold, if you do that, if you turn to my reproof, you open yourself up. I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. 
He who has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. If you abide in my word, and my word abides in you, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So be receptive. I'm praying for you today that God make your heart receptive. But then there's also a letter B, rejection. Some people are going to reject this. Because I called and you refused, verse 24, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel, and you did not want my reproof. If you reject wisdom, the wisdom of God, then let us see, these will be the results. The way this seems right to a man, its end is what? It's the way of death. Watch what will happen if you choose not to pursue wisdom. Verse 26, we're almost done, so hang with me. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes on you like a whirlwind. Because it will. Everything will go fine for a while, but it will catch up to you. When distress and anguish come on you, verse 28, then it'll be too late. There's a point at which it becomes too late. So if you're hearing this this morning, please, I pray God would impress upon you that he would just wake you up and you would want this. Because if you don't, the day will come when it will be too late. Verse 28, then they'll call on me then, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. Because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They listened to the news, and they listened to that program, and they listened to that politician, and they listened to that teacher, and that professor, and that podcast. But they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So what will happen? I've got number one disaster. Verse 31. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way. They will reap what they sow. Garbage in, garbage out. You are what you eat. Use it or lose it. All those things are true. If you will not listen to the wisdom of God and you do things your way, the day will come when it will all catch up to you and it will be over. They'll be satiated with their own devices. Okay, you wanted that? He will give it to you. For the, verse 32, For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. The last point is, but security, I have security. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. So what do you think? What do you think? Which way do you want to go in 2024? Don't make the mistake of saying, well, I've got it. I've got this far. I've made it this far. One more year is not going to kill me. <laughs> you don't know. We do not know what our life will be like tomorrow. So today, God's calling you. God's knocking at the door. The Holy Spirit's here. This is God's living word. It's alive and it's active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It just is. And the Holy Spirit is trying to penetrate the darkness in, in our lives. So let's say that you're in a position where you're going to move toward doing this every day. You're setting a goal. That's what a resolution is, right? And to to set effective goals, there's all kinds of podcasts on this. You can can Google goal setting. But you know that you've got to set some long-term goals and some short-term goals. And you've got to even break your short-term goals up into very small steps, daily things, decisions and commitments of how you are going to... So if your goal is a year from now, they take a snapshot of my life and I'm way more like Jesus. Great goal. How are you going to do that? Wishful thinking? No planning? Aim at nothing? No. What you need to do 
is figure out today. Go and spend a little time today figuring out. This is how I would do it. This is how I'm doing it. Because tomorrow's January 1. You wake up with a fresh checkbook. You know, it's, all, it's all fresh. So think today. Sit down and write some things out. Get specific. What do I need? Because as many have said, it's not what you do occasionally. It's something like this. Not what you do occasionally, but it's what you do every day. Because you, you can read Proverbs every day and you're going to miss a day. Well, then you've got to read up the day before. You've got to catch up the day after. Figure it out. But you do it every day, it will accumulate. And all of a sudden, you're way more skillful in the way you're handling life. And you're going to be way freer and way happier. And so, make some decisions. Specifically, how are you going to regularly intake the Bible? One last thing. You can do the math on this. I've done it before and shared with you. If you sleep, God gives every one of us 24 hours a day. He's going to give us 24 hours a day in 2024. And if you, you can divide that up in a minute and, and make out your schedule. But you, let's say you sleep for eight hours, which nobody does. And then 1.5 hours eating, 30 minutes of meal, which we probably don't do. 10 hours of work, which most people don't do. Two hours of exercise every day, which nobody does. But if we all did all of that, important stuff. We'd still have two and a half hours of discretionary time. Don't tell me you don't have time to read your Bible. doesn't fly. That's, that's being enticed by a busy, consumerist, materialistic world that tells you, you don't have time. You're just too busy. That's a lie. Figure it out. How are you going to do this? And for some of you, again, you're going to have to reorganize my schedule. That's my automatic plan for spiritual goal. Reorganize my schedule, read more scripture, read more slowly, and really meditate scripturally on it. If you do that every day, you will grow and you will be blessed. And all I'm praying for you is that the Holy Spirit would impress upon you, because the desire comes before the discipline, that you would say, in 2024, I'm going to I'm going to be proactive today and figuring out what I'm going to do so that I will fulfill God's calling upon my life. I'll be more fruitful for God. And I will discover more joy and more satisfaction and more purpose and meaning for my life. And I'm going to let God's word lead the way. So will you bow your heads with me now? And just pray. If God says don't do it, then by all means don't do it. But if he says do it, then figure it out.